grace of God, we can stand before you here. And I appreciate y'all joining me. Um, so a lot of friendly faces, a lot of people I know out there, and, and, and I don't really want to talk in front of people who aren't my friends, so we're all now friends, okay? So what friends do is they talk about the grandchildren. So this is my grandchildren mug, okay? We've got Bridget and Nolan, so now you all have met my grandchildren. We're friends. It's all good. The words of the songs this morning, you know, when God knits together stuff, it's really cool. Uh, and I think, I think you'll see that as we go through. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Uh, 30 years ago, I took a class at the University of Georgia, because I'm from Athens, what you do. Um, it was called Abnormal Psychology. The first thing the professor said was, as we study this material, you're going to feel like you have all or some of these processes going on. It's going to make you feel a little paranoid, but don't worry, that is normal. He was right. It was pretty disturbing. Every time we studied a new diagnosis, I would think, I've felt that way before. I think about that sometimes. Given 30 years of perspective, I can look back and see what he meant. All these processes, syndromes, and dysfunctions, they all seem to be exaggerations of our God-given normal minds. Normal, he said. That's a funny word there, normal. Uh, What does that mean? If normal had a place in reality, then we would have no political parties. We'd have no uh, derision on on race, religion, politics, uh, food, movies, art. There'd be no movie reviews. Everybody would be, this is great. So it'd be good. Um, No arguing at the dinner table at Thanksgiving. The family reunion would be boring. I think normal is probably the breeding ground for mental illness. I argue that 100% of the people in this room right now are affected by mental illness in some way or another. Again, I'm Michael. I'm, I'm the husband of Martha, uh, the father of Katie, Will, and Brayton, grandfather to Nolan and Bridget, father-in-law to Cody and Kelsey. I grew up in Athens, Georgia. I'm the fifth boy in our family, no girls. My dad taught at the University of Georgia in the finance department, never taught me how to balance a checkbook. Go figure. My mom was a middle school teacher. My childhood was extraordinary. Creeks, dams, rivers, hiking in the mountains, good stuff, all good stuff. My first encounter with mental challenges was when I was in third grade. It was the last day of April. School was winding down, uh, 1973. Beautiful outside, hot. We went in Athens. What you did in third grade is after school three days a week, you went to the YMCA and you played football, you played outside. It was a great time, great place to go. Um, and we finished playing, the clouds started rolling in. Got a little gray, we noticed it. Uh, went inside to go swim and get ready to go home. Uh, I was in the locker room getting ready to change. Suddenly the lights went out. I'm third grade, a little scary, but the lights went out. It was dead quiet. Suddenly I felt a pressure in my ears, kind of like when you go too deep underwater. Then it happened. There was a roar so loud that it hurt and a blast of wind ripped through the room. Uh, Kids started screaming and running around. Uh, I had not thought about the screaming until yesterday as I reviewed thinking about this, Um, and it hit me pretty hard. I ran to the door with my bare feet to to get out of the locker room. Uh, I got to the door, and an adult was there, and he caught us, three of us, and he pushed us down in the corner uh, of of an entrance to a hallway that went the full length of the building. We could see out in the hallway, and there were kids uh, in that hallway that were holding on to, to tables and benches that were getting sucked down the hallway. Um, 
the locker room was lit by skylights. And one by one, a hundred skylights burst all around us and crashed into the floor. And they were all made of glass, so they just shattered everywhere. Um, the big oak doors in front of me that separated us from the hall began flapping back and forth like they were feathers. And the vents on the door ripped out, went over our heads, and out a hole in the roof that developed. In the hallway, I've got to talk about that. We'll keep going. There was an explosive sound right after this. When that happened, the gymnasium in front of us collapsed. Um, all the while, the screaming continued. Uh, then it stopped. The noise stopped. The water poured in through the roof, and a gentle rain continued. There was concrete dust everywhere. I remember the taste of concrete in my mouth. It felt like I was having that for days afterwards. I think when you tie trauma into sensory purposes, it stays with you for life. Uh, the man that had helped us stood us up and was shaking a little. We were okay. Um, I had to be carried because glass, brick, and building rubble was everywhere. I had no shoes. Uh, we made our way to a safer part of the building with less collapse and stayed under tables until our families could come and get us a few hours later. I've never shared this story publicly before. Uh, Martha's heard some things for the first time today she's never heard. I was fine. Not a scratch on me. Life went on. Lost my shoes, but, you know, I got new ones. The first sign of an issue came in the next few weeks. We had a spring storm. I was at home with my family, and the clouds gathered, and thunder started. It started raining and lightning more, and I started to come unglued. My breathing, sorry, uh, my breathing got rapid, and I started shaking and began to cry. My poor parents didn't know what to do. Uh, platitudes like, it's okay, you're safe, did not work. My, mother arms, my mother's arms were not enough. I was not safe. That had already been proven. The sky had already fallen. In my mind, it was personal, and the tornado was coming back to finish its job and kill me. The sky was going to fall again. To their credit, my parents did not belittle me, tell me to grow up or just get over it. They let me crawl, Harry Potter style, under the staircase, close my eyes, holding a flashlight, and the family dog, who was shaking as much as I was, and tremble and shake together, until it stopped, and it was safe to come out. I can't tell you how many times I did that over the next year or two, but it was plenty. So I was very familiar with that spot, and I kept it ready for me. The YMCA, a place that I loved to go as a kid, became a place I was afraid of. As they repaired it, I became more and more anxious because I knew I was going to have to go back. I didn't want to. My parents did not compound the problem with shame. To their credit. I figured that all by myself. I figured that out all by myself. I spent the night at a friend's house a few uh, weeks later, and uh, all was good. We had a great day. Unfortunately, that night, a storm rolled in, and he lived near the railroad tracks, and a train rolled by during the middle of the storm, um, and I lost it in front of my friend and his parents. I was shaking, crying. His parents were very gracious, uh, but I was really embarrassed I saw, my friend, uh, I saw my friend's parents a few years ago, and I just thanked them for their kindness uh, that they showed to a, a third grader who was in terror. And uh, they were super gracious in their response, and they just, just loved me. It was good. Even as an adult, I wanted to address my shame with them, though, because it lasted. I wish I could say that prompted uh, my parents to get professional help, but we didn't talk about these things. We were private, you know. 
Came to find out many of us kids that were there, and there were a lot, uh, were having the same problems I was having. Well, we never talked about it. Apparently our parents did a little bit, but we, we never talked about it. Uh, my parents were educators, so they did what educators do. They taught. I got my first weather forecasting kit and dove in. There you go, right there. <laughs> now, if, if you don't think that's geeky, it was awesome. It was awesome. So I'd take this thing, and I would go outside, and I would spin it around like you're supposed to, and I'd get the barometric pressure, and I would, I would uh, the sinks like lorometer, and I'd fill the dials, and it would say, severe storm imminent. Well, I'm standing out in the rain with lightning and thunder going, kind of figured that out already, but I needed to figure this out. So it was awesome. I was placed in contact with weather forecasters from TV and radio through the scouting groups. I learned about tornadoes their tracks, types of weather that produced them, uh, the, the, the destructive force that they could generate, the general safety precautions. I was moving into a, a logical understanding about weather and less convinced it was out to kill me. It became less personal, but I was still scared. I was becoming a weather geek, which I, I still am today. I came to faith very early in my life. So I struggled quite a bit with God as to why I had so much fear and shame. It made me, I, just, I, I couldn't understand it. Here I knew I had a relationship with Christ, but it didn't stop the terror. I would pray and I'd feel better for a little while, uh, but then I would start to fear irrationally again. I was in reality a child and unequipped, and spiritually a child and unequipped. Someone eventually reached out to me. The first adult who ever introduced me to Christ and the Holy Spirit, his name was Lou. He was a coach at the YMCA and was in the tornado as well. He understood. He'd been holding on to three kids when it hit and pinned them down in a corner. It's three different kids. And then we all went to the same room, and he was with me under that table. Um, he was a grown-up. He was probably 17, actually. <laughs> but he took the time to hear me, to hear me at summer camp and walk beside me through this. I really don't remember anything he said uh, before, but I, but I remembered he, we talked and he cared and I started to feel safer. And it began my journey in recovery. Um, Facebook's not great for a lot of things, but it's good for finding people. I called Lou yesterday. For the first time in 40 years, I talked to him. And I asked him, do you recall our conversations? Do you remember anything about it? it? Was it something you can even bring up? And he said, I absolutely remember your conversations with me. He said, uh, he said he remembers it because he was in trauma because of the storms. He used to hide when clouds came over. He says he shared scriptures with me as we walked at camp that summer dealing with our fear. Uh, especially from revelations about how God holds the key to death and hell. And if he has those keys, he's got us in his hands. He talked to Psalm 139, today's scripture, about God's intimate knowledge of us, his ever-presence, omniscience, and his love. Psalm 139 and 7 says, we shall, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall, I where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of, of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, 
and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My soul knowing it very well was the beginning of my healing. Lou made me see that God loves and knows his children, even in trauma. I began to get better. As I spoke with Lou yesterday, he said that talking to, with him at camp was his first step at getting better himself. He's never forgotten that talking to me and watching my healing response, it encouraged him and he started to change. I had no idea. It was a blessing to catch up with him, and I'm forever grateful uh, that he cared for me. He's praying for me right now and for all of you as well. My post-traumatic stress, as we all know what to call it, was in the great scheme of things, small in comparison to the trauma and stress others have experienced. But as an 11-year-old kid, it was, it was pretty bad. We all have our own story, a sick child, aging parents, workplace issues, war, cancer, Poverty, school pressure, addiction, all kinds of drugs, social pressure, death, worry, anxiety, divorce, separation, loneliness, uncertainty of the future. Any number of these things can push us into a place of darkness, a place we feel unsafe, a place where the sky is falling, a place where the only safe spot is under the stairs with a flashlight and a shaken dog, a place of isolation. Even then, God is in it. He says, even in the darkness, even the darkness is not dark for you. The night is bright as day. The darkness is as light with you. God tends to do some great things through broken. It's not the end of your story if you're broken. In Scripture, Moses was a murderer. First Samuel, Hannah was bitter in her soul over her infertility. In First Kings, Elijah felt so broken by his ministry that he asked God to take his life. David repeatedly asked his own soul why it was so downcast. Even Jesus in Mark 14, 34 said his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow even to the point of death. Each of these biblical heroes in his or her own way was empowered by God to change the world, not in spite of their affliction, but because of it and through it. Anxiety and depression can be God's way of reminding us that I don't have to be perfect He's not called me to be perfect, impressive, or anything special, anything of that sort. His first and foremost called me to be loved by him and to be open to that love. He has called me to remember that because Jesus, because of Jesus, I already have a name. I will be remembered even after I am gone because he is my God and I am his person. He is my father and I am his son. I am known. I have value in his kingdom. I am a child of God. I always hear Lori singing that when I, when I say those words. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to who are bound. There are many kind of prisons in this world. Not all of them have bars. Most of them don't. 
There are plenty of ways to be spiritually bound. God has called us, His children, His heirs, to be His living presence here on earth, to proclaim the good news, to bring freedom, care for the broken heart, to release those that are bound. It's Christ's calling, and we're to be like Him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Many people say that they married above themselves, and that's a really good idea to say that when you can, because... But I actually did. Many of you know my wife, and you'll love her if you know her. Um, I met her at Georgia during orientation, and I fell in love. Three years later, so did she. <laughs> I, I, I share this with her permission because it's important. When you've been given a story that's the soul of your wife, you be careful with it, okay? When I found out the subject today, Martha simply looked at me and nodded, said, it's okay. I didn't even have to ask. She knows the story I felt that I needed to include. We as a family, like all families, have walked through some basic challenges in our marriage. In 2003, it soon became apparent something was different, something was really wrong. She began to see me as a target of anger. And she could not see the beauty that was all around her. She was deep in the reality of depression. She looked at me sadly one day and said, I guess this is as good as it gets. It was not good. I was lost. I was walking on eggshells trying to keep her happy or at least not make her mad. I prayed, called to the Holy Spirit. I got advice. Some good, some not so good. Nothing really worked. She became an expert turning conversations with friends to be about them even when they asked about her. No one knew how she felt. Everybody wants to talk about themselves and they don't even notice when you turn it around. She was alone, isolating herself. She struggled with the fact that she didn't feel grateful for the life she had been given. She prayed, thought she could manage it spiritually. She didn't want others to see her depression. Fortunately, she had a mother who spoke truth and didn't mind sharing it. She saw what was going on. She reached out to Martha and said, I think you need to go to the doctor and get a little white pill and feel better. <laughs> With my backing it up, she listened and went to the doctor. Almost instantaneously, she was herself again. Turns out, due to losing weight and a change in diet, she had almost completely eliminated crucial chemicals in her brain necessary to feel joy, happiness, and contentment. Her recovery was amazing. We are ever, ever grateful. I was no longer the enemy, and God had restored the loving partnership we have to this day. She is the strongest, bravest person I know. She is my best friend. She loves people and, and, and lives life to the fullest. Since then, she became a nurse practitioner and has become an advocate for mental health and pushes back on the stigma about seeking help or talking about it. She often gently shares her story with patients when she recognizes the need for help but senses resistance. She recognizes that God has entrusted her with the story of her depression, which she now uses for His glory and to help others. Addressing mental health was a blessing from God which revolutionized our marriage. If you are in depression, anxiety, or experiencing mental challenges, you are not alone. Not one person in this room is immune. My family... 
Martha, myself, our extended families are normal. Nothing exceptional. They're our family. It's who we are. But our normal family, this means we had anxiety, depression, drug use, divorce, alcoholism, workaholism, OCD, bipolar, ADD. We've had stressors like divorce, bankruptcy, dementia, cancer, strokes, and much more. I have a feeling many of, you, many of your families are as normal as mine. Sometimes in a situation, it only takes one person to reach out and grab your hand to remind you that God has you, that He loves you, and intimately knows you. And you have a name because you are His child. The isolation of mental illness tells you you are alone. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God says you are not alone. Someone reaching out to you or reaching up, or you reaching up, may be the action that pulls you out of your isolation and starts your restoration to community. Once in community, please seek help. It doesn't stop there. Allow your coach, Lou, to speak into your life. Allow your fantastic mother-in-law to comment into your life. As the church, look out for those in your community that you're with. Be the hand that reaches out to help untie the binds and soothe the brokenhearted with your words. These opportunities are all around you, guaranteed. We have growth groups designed to reach out and support each other, to offer advice. I'm saying this to myself as well because I hesitate out of fear to reach out. This seems crazy that I'm saying it, but we all hesitate. We excuse our inaction, and I'm guilty of this. We say, maybe it'll go away. Maybe it'll just get better. Maybe it'll be fine. Maybe you were in a place for such a time as this. After reaching out, get the help you need. We feel it's important enough that we want to resource our community to help fight isolation and challenges of mental health. We'll tell you more about that in a minute. I hope that you who are here and in need, I hope you can name one person, at least one person that you know that you can be transparent with. Some one person that can see your soul and not see a mess but see you the way that God sees you. I hope they see a child of God full of hope. During a hurricane a few years back, we were traveling and could not leave the area because of the storm. I weather geeked on the family and was studying the television intently. My daughter rolled her eyes and looked at Martha and said, I will never marry a man who watches the Weather Channel. <laughs> that was stung a little she did <laughs> I'm still not perfect to this day when it gets cloudy and windy I look at the sky sometimes Martha will look at me and say you okay yeah I'm fine uh, I watch the clouds but I can enjoy a good storm I can watch uh, and I pay attention but now I'm able to to be in awe of the God who makes the weather and I know he loves me and the sky is not falling and I am a child of God.